I too want to wish you a good morning. Good to see some people we haven't seen in a while. Also good to have baby Sally here with us. Um, it is raining out today, so a good chance that the Phillies, I don't know if they'll play today or not, but our beloved Phillies started out this season winning their first four games. Does anyone know the last time the Phillies started the season 4-0? 1915. It was a little different back then. Woodrow Wilson was in his third year of the President of the United States. The average household income was $687. The price of gas was 15 cents a gallon. And the Bell, computer, the Bell Systems completed the first U.S. transcontinental telephone line connecting people to each other. Those 1915 Phillies ended up winning 90 games, topping the National League, became the first Phillies team to go to the World Series. And eventually they lost four games to one to Babe Ruth and his team back then, which was the Boston Red Sox of all teams. Now we may not wait, want it to be 1915 again, but we do want our Phillies to win this year. Speaking for the way that things used to be, many of us also from time to time have feelings that we do wish that things like, were like they used to be. These feelings are referred to as nostalgic feelings. These nostalgic feelings take us down memory lane. We eat a dish that reminds us something that our grandmother used to make. We are, hear a song that brings us back to a special relationship from our past. We see a feed on our social media that brings us pictures from previous years. These create these moments of nostalgia where we think about our past and it, revokes, it evokes inside of us a sense of romantic longing for how things used to be. This past year, we probably felt this more than ever. How many of us have felt like we wish we could go back the way that things were before the pandemic? Can I get an amen? Yes. This kind of feeling is, is not new. This feeling of wishing things used to be the way they were has been here since the beginning of time. And as we look at this letter to the Hebrews, the people who were receiving that letter, as well as us who were receiving it, had those same feelings. They were thinking about their lives prior to following Jesus and following his way that he initiated with his death, burial, and resurrection that we celebrated last Sunday on Easter. These Hebrew believers were sentimental for a version of themselves that they once were. And they were just wishing they could have things the way they used to be in their faith. They were struggling with the ability to accept that they were missing out on some things from the old covenant rather than seeing all they had in their new covenant with Jesus. In fact, that's what we're going to look at today, this new covenant, a better one. What's better about it? In our message today, we'll see that there are better promises we have in Christ, in our new covenant, like forgiveness, like we've never experienced before, and the power like we've never had before. Now, we're in the midst of a sermon series in the book of Hebrews, as I mentioned. I'd like to just, for the sake of nostalgia, kind of roll back in time. Last week, Pastor Brian in chapter 7, we learned how it's not our power and the power of anyone else that draws us near to God, but rather we draw near to God through the power of an indestructible life found in Jesus. Rolling back in chapter 6, we learned we were warned not to fall away, but be encouraged to draw near to God in Christ with full assurance. In the last part of chapter 5, we learned how we're to listen to God and learn from his word and be able to live out our faith day by day. In the last part of chapter 4, we learned how Jesus is really closer than we think. And we were encouraged to hold firmly to our faith, approach God's throne of grace with confidence, and see Jesus as the one who's gentle towards us. In the first part of chapter 4, we learned how Jesus is best at giving us rest. And as Max was praying before we started our service today, just that's kind of what it's going to feel like this afternoon on a rainy day, won't it? 
But God has rest for us, for our souls as well. In chapter 3, we learned how Jesus carries us through life. We're encouraged to daily check our hearts and lean into the community here that God has provided for us. In chapter 2, we learned how Jesus became a man and he blazed the path to glory to free us from death. And we're going to un- understand a little more what that means today. And it all started back in chapter 1. We learned how Jesus is God's ultimate word. He's superior in every way. And we were encouraged to appreciate how great our salvation is through him. And as we look at chapter 8 today, that's really what it is. is because of the salvation, what do we have in this new covenant? We've learned quite a bit. We've grown quite a bit. But there's more to come. Today we're going to look at 8, chapter 8. And if you want to turn with me now, in your Bible or your Bible app, I want us to just be encouraged again to look at this better covenant. So we're going to start in verse 1. Now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not have been, he would not have been, not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer gifts prescribed by the law. They serve as a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. That better promises is where we're going to camp quite a bit today. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people, and he said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now that's a lot. (laughs) And we all have about a half an hour together. So what we're going to do is, rather than kind of look at these verse by verse as we often do, we're going to look at them in sections. The first section is going to be verses 1 and 2 that describe this new covenant, and we're going to look at how Jesus is a better high priest. The second section we'll look at is verses 3 through 5 that describe this new covenant being ministered to in a better place. So we have a better high priest in a better place. And then lastly, we'll look at verses 6 through 13 that describe these better promises that I mentioned that go along with this new covenant. So let's start in verses 1 and 2, and we're going to see how this new covenant is being described as being ministered to by this better high priest. Jesus described, is described to us as a high priest who is better than these earthly priests. Now, now, why is he better? How is he better? One of the reasons given is that Jesus is better is he does not serve in an earthly place created by men, but in a heavenly one created by God himself. He serves in this heavenly sanctuary set up by God as a true place of worship. But it's not just that he serves there. He also has a special role there. He's declared as the one who sits down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Because of what he's done for us, Jesus has taken the seat that he earned and sat down in this place of honor. 
So he's the great high priest who has the highest position sit at the right-hand side of God's throne. And in fact, it says later in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, that when the priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, the right hand of God, it's, it's, it's more of a, of a figure. So how many of you have designated seats at your dinner table when you grow up? Okay? Okay? Mom had a seat, dad had a seat, everybody has a place where they belong, right? And those seats sometimes are even strategic. Maybe mom is, or dad is seated in a certain place to be able to maybe reach out, be able to connect, get back to the kitchen, whatever it is. So this metaphor of a right hand sitting on the right hand of God is really meant to be, in this case, it's from ancient times, it's the right hand seat next to the king was a place of highest rank or highest honor. In fact, it comes into our language today. Think about when, you, when you're going to pick somebody in your life and you refer to somebody who's really special and really reliable to you, they're often referred to as your right-hand man. Right? This is somebody who serves as the closest person to you. So I just want you to pause and think for a second. In your life, who is your right-hand man? Who is that person who has had kind of the special role or special honor in your life to be of a service to you? No, you're the right-hand man in anybody else's life. We talked earlier about the importance of community. But here, this right-hand person, a right-hand thing, is really where Jesus sits, and he's really next to God as part of the Trinity, really advocating for us. So the first part is just that we have the high priest who has a right-hand, written at the right-hand of God. Now we move to verses 3 through 5. We're going to see how Jesus is better, not just because of his place, but because he ministers in this heavenly tabernacle. We see how it's no longer an earthly priest in the line of Levi bringing offerings time over time over time in an earthly one, but he's the supernatural priest that's bringing an offering once and for all, once and done. So Jesus is better in that he brings to sacrifice his own life as a better offering for us than those earthly priests. In these verses, we see that these earthly priests did and how they were described as a copy or a shadow. We know that there are many copies of famous paintings, right? But those famous paintings are always not the same as the original. The original is the one that's worth something. And that's the one that we want. And likewise, this word here, when it talks about a copy, is really talking about something that's really a, or a representation or a figure of the real thing. Now, we've had the privilege of traveling to China. And uh, when we were there, we were able to go up the Great Wall. But there's also Legos today, and Legos have done a great job, and there's actually Legos, I don't know if Suzanne, if you can put that up, of the Great Wall of China. Now, the one, the Lego version is really what we're talking about here in the text, which is just kind of a model or a figure. This is really the, the temple that was here or the tabernacle that was here on earth. But the one, the real one, the one in heaven that God designed, look at the difference, right? I just want to highlight to say it doesn't have the grandeur, the enormity, the reality. We, we had the opportunity to walk up and down that wall, and it went on for miles and miles and miles. And uh, that Lego set is probably just something I can step my foot on and hurt at night. Um, that's really how it would work. But, and that's what's happening here. There's a contrast that the writer in Hebrews is trying to bring across to these people who are nostalgic, think, man, we wish we could just have the Lego set. That's, that's just great. That's all, that's all we need. So these earthly priests, what they were doing pales in comparison to what Jesus did for us. And then as we move forward in verses, look at verses 6 through 13, we see how Jesus is better as the one who has brought this new covenant, and the writer wants to highlight some amazing truths about this new covenant. 
So if you were going to try to explain to somebody that something is better than something else, you usually compare it, right? So in our lives, we've been inundated in advertising by saying something is better than something else. So if I asked you about batteries, for example, and I said, which battery lasts the longest? Energizer, right? So the Energizer Bunny first hopped on the scene in 1989, and since then he has drummed away with his flip-flops and sunglasses, showing us that the Energizer batteries far outlast any other battery. Obviously now, Doro cells come out, so basically we get this competition to basically show how one is better than another. And that's really what's going to happen in verses 6 through 13. Basically, the writer's going to explain how the new covenant, the things that are there, are so much better than the old one. So let's just talk about a few of these. I encourage you in, your, in the time that you spend with the Lord this next week, there's so many that I'm not going to even touch. I'm just going to cover three or four. So we're going to start in verse 9, and we're going to see one of the better promises of the new covenant is that it is dependent only on what Jesus has done and not on us. That's it. The old one was dependent on the performance of people. And sadly, it had no mechanism which would guarantee that both sides would adhere to their particular responsibilities. God always had kept his side, and we rarely kept ours. The actual fault of this covenant was not in the covenant itself, but in the people like us who couldn't keep it. And that's why God had to send Jesus to die on the cross. The inadequacy was in the ability to ensure that we could live up to our side. And once we knew that it couldn't work that way anymore, God had to bring it away that we wouldn't be based on us and anything we would do, but be based on the work that Jesus did on the cross. So that's the first way that it's better, a better promise. The second one we see in verse 10, and that is God's word in this new covenant is something he puts in our minds and writes on our hearts. The old one, as you know, was written down on tablets and on scrolls, was passed around by oral tradition and written tradition. However, this new one involves God putting his law in our minds like a permanent marker. It also mentions that God is writing his laws on our heart. So here, this is an infusion. So I don't know if any of you have gotten a blood you know, or, or something put into your blood, but basically it goes inside and then permeates every part of you. Just like that blood that is pumped through your heart and circulates throughout your body, this is what God does with his word now in this new covenant. We no longer are reading something and trying to digest it and internalize it, but it's actually injected inside of us. And we can't live without it. We see another one of these great better promises in verse 12, where God tells us that he will, because of what Christ has done, he will forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. And this is the one I think that's very powerful. Instead of remembering our sins, because of Christ, he is merciful towards us in our unrighteousness. God tells us how gracious he is towards us with the things that we've said, thought, and done, which were wrong. And he treats our wrongings not how we deserve, but with undeserved kindness. As we sang earlier, the cross has spoken and we are forgiven. The King of Kings calls us our own. We are his forever because of Jesus Christ, our living hope. Now, we see later in verse 12 that God says he will not remember our sins anymore. So what in the world does this mean? Does God have amnesia? Does he have a problem remembering things? Does he need to take his prevagen? No, not at all. The idea of not remembering is intentionally and purposely not bringing something up again. Do you ever have a relationship with somebody where some things get brought up again? You've done something or said something, and you know, as many times as you said you're sorry, it just keeps getting brought back up. You know those types of relationships and the tension that that brings and the awkwardness that brings, and you just feel like you can't get over it. 
Here, this phrase, remember no more, means hold it no more against us. This doesn't that God forgets what we've done, but he intentionally deals with it on the basis of his grace and mercy, not on anything that we've done. The way this is expressed is that God is not interested in bringing it back up again. He's kept it in the past, and the matter is considered settled for him. It's done. We're not going to talk about it again. But not in a way that's disrespectful, but in a way that's kind. God doesn't have them in his mind when he talks to us. And it's interesting, it goes back to the beginning of Hebrews when we want to get nostalgic in Hebrews. The same phrase was used in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. We were encouraged that God is actively remembering us as people. He does not actively remember our misdeeds. That is, the things that we said and did that were not right. But there's a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you're mindful of him? So God does remember us as people. He just doesn't remember all the junk that we bring with ourselves. Isn't that the way that we would love to be related to? This passage in Hebrews 8 is so many, filled with so many things that are these better promises. I just wanted to highlight a few of them given the time that we had, and I want to encourage you to take this next week to delve further into them. So if we know we have this promise of forgiveness, if we know we have this promise of things not depending on us, if we know we have these promises of things written in our minds and our hearts, how does that affect us? How does that change the way that we live? So what I want to do is just think about, as we learn more what we have in Christ and appreciate it, I want to focus on this forgiveness for a second. Forgiveness like never before is how I'd like to describe it. Because this new covenant is something they had never experienced before. So for this forgiveness like never before, it was lacking before, right? It was still, year over year, the priest would come and they'd give their, their, their sacrifices for the people's sin. Here, this better promise is something that where God, through God, through his forgiveness in Jesus, it's once and done. So ironically, if you were going to try to explain Christianity to somebody who's never understood it before, what would you say is our deepest spiritual need? It's forgiveness. It's the thing that Christianity has to offer that's different than any other faith in the world. It's a sense where our sins and our forgiveness meet at the cross, and it's something that's been done for us. Author Roy Lesson explains it in a very classic summary. Maybe some of you have heard this before. He said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. So I ask you today, if you've never experienced that forgiveness, may today be the first day. Just ask God to forgive you for the things that you've done. Place your faith in Jesus Christ and it says anybody who calls on his name will be saved. And that's our heart's desire. If you're watching, if you're here today and you've never experienced that today, that's our heart's desire for you. Now for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and what he did in this new covenant, we want to experience forgiveness in a more complete way because of the cross. We also want to extend forgiveness in a way that maybe we've never done before because of how much we've received. So I want us to just stop and think um, oftentimes I ask rhetorical questions, and some of the questions I ask, I, I solicit ideas from you. This is one of those rhetorical ones, in case you're wondering when I ask it. How many of us are struggling to feel completely forgiven for something we thought, said, or done? In fact, many of these things that are coming to our minds right now are things that maybe nobody knows anything about. 
Also, how many of us have hurt someone else and we need to be forgiven? So, you know, I know in my own life there's things that I've even said this morning that uh, raised my voice or I said some unkind things and um, I'm just sad about that. There's things I've done yesterday, there's things I've done last week, there's things I've done last month that I know are not honoring to God and I need that forgiveness. And so I come to him every evening and I walk through my day and ask him for the things where I've missed the mark and ask him to forgive me. And what's great is that he does every day. Every day I come to him, I experience this complete forgiveness. And that's what the, the, the Hebrews were, were missing out on. They were thinking, oh, I just want to go back to the way it was. And the writer's trying to explain to them, there is a completeness of forgiveness of what Christ has done that we just can't miss out on. This is the forgiveness that God designed in this new covenant. It's that forgiveness that I mentioned a few minutes ago where the things that I do, the things that I say, and the things that I think that are wrong are no longer held against me. That's what it feels like in my life to be forgiven by God. And that's what my heart's desire is for us. How great is it when we have the Savior who died for us and no longer brings up our junk again? And we can say we've been forever forgiven. And what's neat is God forgives our sins and he forgets them as he sees us renewed and sanctified people, thanks to Jesus. When God hears our cries for repentance, when he hears our declaration of faith, when he sees our love for him and for others and his Holy Spirit acting out, he is more pleased with us and he delights in us. For those of us who have children, sadly they do a lot of things that are just not right or good. But when they come to us and ask us for our forgiveness as parents, how willing are we to forgive them and how happy we are when they want to begin to do things right again? We delight in that. God delights in us even more. I have another question. Again, it's a rhetorical one, okay? So just be careful. It's not that loud one. How many of us have been hurt by someone else and need to forgive them? How many of us are struggling to forgive them? This one, sadly, is unanimous. Um, thanks to people, uh, I have been hurt often. <laughs> and I'll probably even hurt later today, later this week, later this month. It just happens in relationships. You know, every relationship we have in our lives, every marriage that's here, every family that's here, forgiveness is just part of how we roll or how we are meant to roll. Forgiveness can transform our empty lives, restore our broken relationships, reconcile our troubled marriage, heal our hurting families, unite us, and change this whole world. It is powerful. It is such a power. And in fact, one of the quotes I really enjoy is from John MacArthur, and, and several people have said it. He says, never are we more like God than when we forgive. So you want to be more godly? Forgive more. You want to be more godly? Be merciful to people who don't deserve it. And I, sadly, in my own life, this happens most often in the relationships where I'm closest to people because we bump into each other the most. We have the most opportunities to say things that are unkind, to do things that are selfish, to feel like I wasn't thought of, to feel like nobody was listening to me, to feel like somebody was intentionally hurtful. And all those things, it's my responsibility to forgive, but it's not because I have to, it's because of how much I've been forgiven. So as we experience this forgiveness ourselves, like never before, it enables us to express forgiveness to others like never before as well. And we're encouraged to experience that. 
So lastly, what's neat about this new covenant that I, I want to apply to our lives is that we don't have to conjure up stuff anymore. In this old covenant, there was times where basically they, they were given information about who God is and what he wanted them to do, but they didn't have God's Holy Spirit to give them the power to do it. And we have that power. There's a power from God's Spirit in us like never before. God's Spirit is a dynamic that, it, that was lacking in the Old Covenant. It's revealed to us in clear ways, but it gave us now the ability to do the good and resist the evil. So how does that work? How is it that this kind of works out in our lives? So I can just share from my own experience. Um, there's times where I face a situation and I know what God wants me to say. And at that moment, I'm tempted to maybe say something different. But fortunately, God's Spirit gives me the words to say and then the strength to say them. There's times I run into something, um, a situation, and somebody... Uh, maybe I'll give you an easy one, right, that we all experience, particularly, particularly with the rain. I don't know if, how many of you realize how, how few people know how to drive in the rain, right? So, um, and they could really use some additional instruction for me to be able to learn how to drive better in the rain. So even this afternoon, I'm sure I'm going to be going to the dollar store, Sam's Italian Market, and I'm going to leave this place, and somehow God's Spirit is going to be inside of me, and I'm going to choose whether I'm going to receive God's instruction and God's power in order to respond in a way that honors Him. Right? I'm going to be watching the Phillies, and they're going to do something that really frustrates me. Okay? They're not, they're not 4-0 anymore, just so we're clear. They're... They're still over 500, but uh, we'll see how that goes. But whatever it is, or, or something one of my kids is going to do that's really going to bother me, right? And so at that point in time, I have a choice to make. And I can't have the excuse of like the old covenant where I don't have the power inside me. We all have the Holy Spirit inside of us. It gives us the power to overcome. We're free from the bondage of sin, and we now have the ability to resist sin and live godly lives. So what's in the way? What's in the way is me, my heart. But I'm so glad we've been given hearts which can now spontaneously know and love the will of God and now with the Holy Spirit have the power to do it. So in this new covenant, the Holy Spirit takes residence inside me. He leads me into the truth, producing right love towards God and other people and right behavior and how I relate and care for them. That's the Christian life. It's receiving forgiveness, extending forgiveness, and having God's Spirit live inside. Tom read the passage earlier where the Holy Spirit was given from John. We have him. We now become spirit-led believers. We are changed, as, as Max let us sing earlier, from the inside out. My heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Now we start our time together to be nostalgic, right, and talking about some of the things, challenges that we face. I am still personally hoping the Phillies will win the World Series like they did in 2008. For those of you who like to be nostalgic on Halloween's the last time they won the series. But I want to end our time with these nostalgic feelings that we experience from time to time and how they can help us appreciate what we have in the here and now rather than just wish for how things used to be. So the next time your social media app pops up some nostalgic feelings, we cannot just reminisce about some good memory that we see in those pictures. But we can use them to help us see how far we've come in our spiritual journey. Just like our kids, we look back and say, oh my goodness, look, three years ago, five years ago, they were just, you know, this big or this big or this big. We too are growing in our spiritual lives. The more that we walk with the Lord and have a spirit-led life, as we can use these nostalgic feelings to reminisce about how far we've come in our spiritual journey when we started our relationship with God. As we get closer to Him, 
there's a very weird irony that happens. Those of us who journey with the Lord for a while, the closer you get to God, the further away you see you are from him and his holiness. The closer I get to God, the more he shows me my sin in my life. But he also gives me a thankfulness to show me how comprehensive and complete his forgiveness has been. The closer I get to him, the more intensely I experience his forgiveness. And that's his desire for us. As we experience his forgiveness more in our lives, we're more apt to express that forgiveness in the relationship we have with others. And as we look back at our lives with nostalgia, we're able to see the many places where we missed the mark and he's forgiven us over and over and over again. It allows us to be more grateful to him. As we're finding ourselves to be more nostalgic for those pre-pandemic days, we've been given that boost we can to deal with our current challenges and reminded how God's spirit is not limited by any virus. The virus is not going to stunt God's spirit in my heart. It's not going to stop God's spirit working in my life. God's spirit is going to give me the strength I need each day to live for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you care for us and that you give us these things to remember. We want to give you just our thanks for being the one who brought the sin in our lives to an end. Thank you for the way that you are God and we are your people and that you don't remember our sins anymore and you don't hold us again, you don't remind it of us, but really you look forward to the next day that we spend with you. Help us to experience more of your forgiveness and express that forgiveness to others. Help us to experience more of the spirit of the life with the power of your Holy Spirit inside of us. God, we want to come and celebrate today as people who are just justified by you and have this wonderful relationship with you. Help us to experience that more deeply today. In your name, amen.